morning, everyone. We are here living the authentic life in Houston, Texas on a nice summer feeling fall day. And we have one of my favorite peeps, uh, John Stallings, who is a division chief of um, assistant DA over sex crimes. And we have talked so much about my passion project which is stopping sex trafficking and she is in the trenches every day and she brought one of her amazing collaborators that is in the trenches too rebecca beavers hello hello and rebecca has a um an amazing radio voice so you'll be lulled by her (laughs) sassy voice as i was lulled and i listened to her on Blonde Justice. Justice is Blonde. Justice is Cold Blonde. Cold-Blooded Kolsky. Yes, podcast. And learn so much about trafficking. And we get together every week to talk about authenticity, connection, commitment, and purpose. And for some reason, God brought me to this place that this is my purpose. I want to make a difference by bringing awareness and learning as much as I can about it. Because as you've said so many times, this is not just something that immigrant women are being brought into this is happening Absolutely. in our city to our american children yes mm-hmm. tell a little bit about that journey and when you realized that this was happening and how you became compelled to be a detective oh my god that's a lot we're here for 45 minutes oh that's gonna okay, okay. all right so i mean you know, I, I got into this fight um, volunteering, um, and then you know I discovered that I really like research, and and that that I mean it's it's a very basic answer, but that it, it is really kind of, you know, I got into this going how can I help? I felt very compelled. Um, I've worked in the sex industry uh, as a child, um, commercial, so you know, looking back as an adult and a mother, you know, of two kids, and I just kind of compartmentalized mm-hmm. all of that. Um, you know, I look back and I go, wow, you know, I, like that, that happened, you know, and that, that's a real thing. Um, so I felt compelled to find a local group and get involved. Cause I always say you should always find something that you're passionate about. It could be rescuing animals. It could be, you know, immigrant, you know, immigration, it could be, you know, whatever, but find something. And so that was my, you know, I just felt compelled to find groups and then, you know, Okay, I love research, and so you know, hey, I should be a PI. You know, Kalinda Sharma, you know, from The Good Wife. You know, like somebody kept calling me that. They're like, you're, you're like Kalinda Sharma, and I'd never saw the show. You ever seen The Good Wife? I did. I love Archie Paranjal. Yes. So uh, that was a joke for a while. Uh, in some of the groups I volunteered with, they, you know, would call me. You know, hey, Kalinda, can you Google Queen? Can you can you find this? And I said, okay, you know, and I got really good at it, and you know, decided to watch the show and was inspired and said, I'm going to go back to school and became a PI. So, you know, and that's how I, I formed my PI firm. So, and, and then also Anti-Trafficking Alliance, we started that in 2018. Um, that's with me and JB Rice, we're co-founders. Um, and then I'm here today, so. And Johnny, you are no stranger to a passion job. You have taken your passion for helping kids who are victims, women who are victims, your history. Tell, even though you've been a guest before, tell a little bit about that journey that brought you here to Houston working to bring these cases against these horrible men and women who are pimps. 
Uh, well, thank you for having me. Um, I've been a prosecutor since 1996, and I've also been a defense attorney and helped uh, women um, and men who were mentally disabled or had drug issues as well. Um, and I was in Victoria, Texas for a long time where I really honed in as a prosecutor um, to help women and children like the downtrodden of our society and figure out what's happening online um, and in prostitution and it kind of became my my uh, life's goal to um, to help to eradicate the sex abuse of our young people and and our adults that are manipulated and uh, targeted on the street and we were talking earlier. Um, Rebecca Beavers is an amazing person and um, we we're talking about how with you earlier this morning um, that even our teenagers that uh, you know are just going to school and online uh, that they are targeted even um, if they're not uh, necessarily have a bad home life um, that they're also targeted by predators, uh, pimps, sex offenders that are online on social media um, and that there's child pornography on Pinterest, that we have pimps on Facebook. Um, one of our criminal analysts at the district attorney's office, we've been lucky enough that Kim Ogg's been very forward thinking in uh, having trafficking analysts and investigators and prosecutors working within the DA's office to catch traffickers. Last month, the DA's office actually, the DA's office filed 11 trafficking offenses for the month of October. And awesome. yeah, and that's law enforcement, yeah, yeah. law enforcement filed 20. So that's a total of 30. You know, that's um, like a third that would have otherwise gone uh, without getting filed if it wasn't for our program we have out of the yeah, DA's office. So, yay. So, uh, Steps forward. Yeah, absolutely. So so it's a process. Um, it's definitely a collaboration. Actually, mm -hmm. Rebecca um, was on a training with me last week, training law enforcement. That was fun. It, it was great. A great time. It was great. I love and, working with the law enforcement because you can be real candid. And, and they, they were, don't care. Yes. And they were like, can you come and talk? at the sheriff's office can you come and talk yeah, to these, at these nice. other trainings I love I love that they loved her and I think the importance there that I was so surprised about is that so many of these victims who are trafficked look like they are prostitutes that chose this path to the general public and we know that many of them are traffic victims and we're teaching law enforcement to look at them as victims and not as people who chose this life. Can, can you share a little bit about sure. that misguided thought of so many people? I've heard men, women say, that's the oldest profession in the book. Can you uh, kind of address that ridiculous statement? I know. We talk a lot about how <laughs> well, girls I mean, For boys. me, it was like a necessity. It was like, you know, I'm on the street as a child. You know, I was a teenager. And, you know, that was my option at that time, in my mind, you know? I didn't have a mama sucker in my life. You know, I didn't have people that were influential that would say, oh baby, no, come here. You know, I didn't have family. So when you don't have, you know, and, and, and you look at that, you're like, well, why is this beautiful young girl, you know, working in the strip club, because that's where I was, uh, at 16? I was in high school. You know, it's like, when you look at that, it's like, whoa. And they know, the clubs know what they're doing. They're not there to protect you, they're there to 
make sure that they you get there they get your money they're the they're your first pimp if you work in a club the club is the pimp so that's a whole nother can of worms but you know it and, and for me it was a necessity and for a lot of these girls it's a necessity and they cognitively they just don't know that they can do better and that they have self-worth and value and they can do more with their life you know it's 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 like they can't how do I explain forest for the trees? You know, they just, they can't see themselves, you know, being a dental hygienist or going back to school. They don't, they don't see a value in themselves. So it, you know, that it stems a lot from that. And you think you're making that choice when really it's the things that have happened to you when you were young, that brought you to the point. It's like a pinball machine. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we know that over 90% of the gals and guys that we come into contact with who are engaged in prostitution have backgrounds in sexual abuse as children, that they've been preyed upon and not protected for various reasons within great families, within foster families, and on the street. And they get to the point where, like Rebecca, they're 15, 16 years old and start working with It's super within. volatile within the home. There's, all, you know, family violence or there's, you know, um, emotional abuse, verbal abuse, um, just general, you know, like we had a roof over our head and we had, hell, we had health insurance. But, you know, it, it, there was no, I didn't interact with my family, if that makes sense. My parents, you know, there was a lot of mental illness in the household, untreated. So, you know, I, I was product of that you know and, and and so you know you have that and you have a damaged child and you just they go out into the world they're not even sent out into the world they just fall out into the world and, and what do you expect to happen well i listened <clears throat> to the story that you told about the two young girls that went to a party and were the mickey was dropped and they yes, were raped and they filmed Tell- them and then they blackmailed them yes i remember that case would you share a little bit about that journey yeah i mean so she that particular gal i mean she was um, a teenager young teenager and she you know made some friends at school uh, it was a little tumultuous at home you know there's a stepdad they didn't really get along um i don't know the full details there i do know there was um some sexual abuse not with the dad though i don't believe um anyways um, she, you know, made this friend with a neighbor girl and, you know, the girl would come over a couple times and then this girl went over and stayed. And then, you know, one night, let's sneak out, go to this party. Let's, you know, go joyride with our friends or whatever. And they end up at this party and they get, you know, something slipped in their drink, Mickey'd and they gang rape them and film it and then blackmail them with it. So she runs away thinking that's her only option because her family is like going to disown her, you know, she's going to be in trouble. So, and she can't go home. So that shame in her mind overpowered any critical thinking skills. I mean, they just completely went out the window. Think about that. I mean, there's the shame of that, that she felt that she couldn't talk to her family, that she just had to run away. And I, I get that. I'm a huge Brene Brown fan. I mean, the shame is such a big part of her journey talking about it and I just know growing up that I there were things that happened to me that I couldn't share with my parents and I could have seen me being in that situation when you put it in that context we've all been at a place someone brought us a drink how do you know it's happened to someone in my family that they were mickeyed and they were um had sexual abuse 
from that situation. So it's hard when you're telling kids because they feel like they know. And I'm raising a 13-year-old girl. You have an 8- and 10-year-old. Thankfully, your son, it seems like he is on such a good path. But like, as parents, we have so many people listening that are parents. Tell us, like, what are some of the things and boundaries? How do you talk to your kids about this? Because if you say, be careful, you might be trafficked, they're going to immediately put it out of their minds. Are there things that you guys can say that, that might have helped or that you feel like you could say to family members? Go ahead. Be present. That's like the one thing, because we all get so wrapped up with our businesses and our lifestyles and our things and our, our whatever's in front of us and somebody else's problems. And if there's one thing, and I know that's such a simple answer, but be present. And then also just educating yourself and knowing your resources. You know, when I had sexual abuse happen to me and I brought it to my parents' attention, you know what their response was? Well, what do you want to do about it? And I was afraid to go to the police because I was afraid kids at school would find out about it. Now, that was a simple, simple phone call that would have clarified all of that. But just having that, you know, the wherewithal to do that, you know, and the just. And where should people call if something like that were to happen? Call the dang police. I mean, if you have a, any kind of, you have, you got to report that. If you think there's sexual abuse going on, you call the police. But we find that it's so important that parents, um, teachers support our children um, in these, uh, especially in these times right now when virtual and very little contact with adults. Um, if you uh, know if you hear of anything from a child go ahead and, and call law enforcement um, because it's better to be on, air on the safe side, side? I mean yeah, what's the worst the they do a well check <laughs> right exactly so, um, so someone can check into it so and everybody can be assured um, and there, maybe there's nothing going on. Maybe there is. But the important thing is that it does get reported because when children aren't supported, they feel like, well, nobody believed me. Nobody uh, stood up for me. And that's so many times we see that with our sex abuse cases that no one supported the child. Mm -hmm. And so um, we try to reinforce as prosecutors, like, we know that people didn't support you in the past, but I believe you. And I'm going to be, we're going to be, uh, you know, Team Jasmine, and we're going to go to court, and we're going to stand up to this guy, and we're going to tell what happened to you. So if you have, you know, an 8, 9, 10-year-old that's not supported at home, you can imagine by the time she's 15, um, and she's frustrated, nobody's believing me, so I might as well go out and do whatever I want to do and take advantage of the situation myself and earn some money. Um, and so she's thinking, she's taking oh, it. You're talking about me. You're and, talking about 15, 16-year-old me. I mean, that's, that's exactly right. Yeah. And then you got, yeah. and then you have guys out there, the pimps, the gals that are pimps, and they, they see the, the 15 year old come along. Who's, and they're like, oh, cool, a quick $1,000 here, you know, a day, uh -huh. $1,000 a day. So uh, it's, it was tell them about um, how you kind of get interviewed and they're looking for their in with you on how to take advantage of you, how to manipulate you. So when I worked in that lifestyle, you know, uh -huh. As a, you know, as a kid, and, and I would meet these guys, and I always could see them from a mile away. I mean, it was just so stereotypical. It's like uh -huh. just pure Hollywood on that level. It's like the chains, the, you know, this like sort of look, you know, style or whatever, what have you. So, and it's just like it's always the same thing. They're just they want to like they're kind of interviewing you without you knowing. You know, they're kind of asking you, you know, and it seems pretty, like, benign because they're just asking you, you know, what's your name, who are you, can I get you a drink, you know, that sort of thing. And then they're just really trying to figure out, 
what your problem is, like where you know why where your vulnerability is, and exactly. They can get you and they there. try to explain it. Oh, you like really expensive stuff. Oh, you like to get your nails done. Oh, let me take you to get your nails done. And so the grooming process begins from the moment you take that drink and talk to him. And today, okay, so that happened um, in the club. Yeah. And so that happens in the club today. It also happens online. They do the, our predators, our pimps, yeah. our sex offenders. They're online. Instagram, Snapchat. And they'll absolutely. just start messaging them and oh, asking maybe those you're same so questions. And right. they'll sit and they'll, you know, they'll just give them that attention that they so have been right. longing. Oh, you like and, Gucci, baby, right? Oh, let me get you Gucci yeah. back. But you're going to pay it back tenfold. And, but you don't know that when you accept it, right? So. And let's talk about Bissonette. There's a lot of people that I mentioned Bissonette to, and they're thinking, oh, is that where all the car dealerships are? <laughs> and they are near there. They but, are. But tell us what happens on Bissonette. And I can tell you right by the car dealerships is where you will see gals at 10, 11 o'clock at night scantily dressed. Well, no, there's lines. And there, if you go down there at night, mm -hmm. there is literally... A, a line of cars of just single men in the car. And it is like, I'm talking 10, 15, 20 cars. Headlight after headlight. Just waiting to see the next girl and see the next girl and see the next girl. I mean, it's insane to me. And it's just like out there, it's in the open, and it's like... So let's talk about the next question I get when people know about Bissonette is, why don't the police stop it? And it's so complicated, and there's so many layers. So let's talk about the relationship of the girl to the pimp and how she feels about being in this place, and then we can talk about how law enforcement can come in and, and help with that. Well, full disclosure, I have a quick question. I read a, a study um, done here in Houston that the Bissonette area is one of the most, I think there's more crimes per capita per squ like square mile, I think. It was something like it's the most concentrated area of crime is that do you know that to be true um i don't know that exactly to be true but that wouldn't surprise me i know there is a high level of crime so it's not a place area. you want to go right driving around and hanging out in right okay so i just want to start with that because there is crazy stuff going on people do get shot i've seen girls get ran over by pimps that they've left i mean one put a car through a papa's there on business. I mean, it's it's kind of scary out there. Okay, and, you know there can be a lot of sexual assaults as well. Yeah, I mean, so it, I mean, they it found is a dead bodies. Area. You know, women. You know, yeah. So it's not a place that you want to go just trolling around. So right. start with that to but, go see what's happening yeah, with your family. You know, no. that's not. Yeah, don't go looking for it. But better idea is to come to the courthouse and listen to testimony during a trial when we try and support the the survivors. Correct. The, yeah. So, uh, anyways, so I mean, just down there. I mean, it's. Oh, sorry, the question. Sorry. The relationship of the girls to the pimp is not such that you can drive up to a girl and say, "I want to save you from this life. Get in the car with me, and I'll take you down to the police station so you can go prosecute the pimp." Well, backtrack to what we just talked about, which is these are young ladies and guys that have background in sex abuse who have run from bad situations and they think that they are choosing to live this lifestyle for various reasons, financial, for love, um, out of fear or have no other choice or they think they have no other choice. So you got to keep that in mind whenever you talk about the relationship. Yeah, it's, I mean, so. it's like, you know, there are ties with these guys, especially if it's like a Romeo. See, there's different types of pimps. So you have your Romeo, you've got your gorilla, you've got your suitcase pimp, you've got your party pimp, club pimp, anymore? Mm, I think that might be. Those are the main ones. Anyway. And some of them can be women. Yes. That, that's peculiar, isn't it? 
that a woman can want to prostitute another woman and sell her for sex is shocking to me. Because she sees it as a commodity. And there's also a history in in most of the pimps, from what I've read, there's a history of abuse or something in their life that's also brought them to this place that they think of a body as a commodity that can be traded. And maybe they don't like women for various reasons, maybe because of the way they grew up. They were up. neglected or they, right. you know, it's just a kind of a, a bloodline of, of abuse, you know. It's like it just history keeps repeating itself in some fashion or another. And mm-hmm. often pimps, um, male pimps will utilize, an, use a woman, a, a young female, maybe 18, 19-year-old, to recruit Younger girls, yeah, we would call her bottom. A recruiter. And mm-hmm. she'd be well, we the recruiter for younger the enforcer, girls. And she gets more perks. So it's kind of like, okay, well, you kind of keep everybody in line. Because at the end of the day, which is so, it's the, the business model of being a pimp is so crazy to me, right? Because it's like, they're saying, oh, I'm going to protect you when you go on your jobs, right? On your dates or whatever. I'm going to protect you. But how, how does he think he's going to protect a female getting beat up in a locked hotel room? Was he going to call the police? Hey, my hoe is in here getting beat up. I like, I mean, not to be crass, but I mean, it's, no, but it's we have like, to speak in a way that it's, it's real. You know, that's what's really happening. Well, they, they try to sell this sort of protection or this game or this knowledge, and it's it's just it's all trash. They're basically selling hot air. So let's talk about that. I've also heard the philosophy: if you legalize prostitution, that then you would have more control over it. Sort of like legalizing marijuana. So. You too. What's your take on that? Well, if you legalize it, then law enforcement doesn't have a way to come into contact with either a pimp or a person who's engaged in prostitution who's selling themselves. And they have no way to gather evidence to show that trafficking is occurring. So um, I think a great middle ground is either making selling legal like that's not a law that's not an offense or um sex buying is illegal so um as opposed to always prosecuting the seller so we do pre-arrest diversion as a way to come into contact with the seller gather the evidence on the trafficker and then file on the trafficker and give the person who is selling themselves an opportunity to get services instead of going to jail so um, it's a way to find a middle ground that um, we're not creating more problems for our seller who already has a background in sex abuse who already um, has maybe a lot of mental health issues because of all the things he or she has been through we don't want to send them to jail and then they're unable to um, get a job or get an apartment because they end up with convictions so we still want to catch the traffickers if you legalize prostitution we won't catch the traffickers, and it's just going to be free reign to do whatever the pimps want to do. And isn't it almost legalizing slavery? Well, Basically, I have a quick yeah. question, though. But yeah. trafficking and prostitution are two separate things. Correct. It's just prostitution is um, basically uh, what the pimp is causing people to engage in. Sure, but if a girl is selling her body, and that's mm-hmm. her choice, and she is not being forced to do it, and she wants to work at a strip club, or she wants to work massage part wherever and she wants to do that i do not believe in in, in charging them there there are some I, gals I, I, in there. that aspect i do believe in legalizing if that's what they so choose to do it, it, I, I am but when it comes to the but, trafficking side where you're forcing somebody to do something to me that is obviously my biggest and what issue. percentage of women are prostitutes versus trafficked victims who are being prostituted do you have a mindset that. of that? Because you know, I think it's such a fine line. I really think it's probably 5 to 10% at most that are choosing to live the lifestyle. 
but I also believe at some point that person was probably a victim either of sex abuse as a child. For sure. When, that or was trafficked. Right. And that's you don't how, just go that route correct. and go nuclear. You, you right. did not just wake up one day and go, oh, I'm 16 years old. I want to go shake my ass. Okay, excuse my language. But I, I, don't, I didn't wake up one day. That was a, a, a snowball effect. A dumpster fire headed down the hill. You know what I mean? And I just absolutely. So how does by. law enforcement know the difference of yes, who's not being trafficked and choosing it, but at some point was trafficked, but they aren't now and the ones that are being trafficked right now. So I think it kind of know, untangling. It's a kind of it's a kind of a tangled mess at first in every case. I feel like it, it is. And, and law enforcement does a great job of communicating in a trauma informed manner with uh, the gals and guys that are engaged in prostitution, trying to figure out who's a victim. And then we have these other. Uh, programs that we're trying to develop right now, which is pre-arrest diversion, not arresting the sellers, you know, trying to really just catch the traffickers, the bad guys, if you will, the sex buyers who need to be held accountable. Sure. So tell us about you're in the trenches, you're out. I mean, you're physically there when these busts go down, when you're trying to extract people. I'd love to hear like a scenario of you going out with law enforcement to do this, what you do as a Detective, I mean, I just think it's so interesting that you're able to save someone's life. Well, there. I mean, last week there was out of Llano County. It wasn't here in Houston. Uh, uh-huh. uh, my partner, JB, uh, recovered two juveniles, but they turned out to be uh, just runaways. I mean, they were just staying on the street. There was no mm-hmm. trafficking. But a lot of times the cases start out where we just don't know. They're couch surfing. Are they, you know. Can you tell what that is? I'm sorry. Some people don't even know what couch surfing is. Nobody knows is. what couch surfing is. I mean, a lot of people what do. What are we on? I know. It's, it's when, when you're a runaway. When you're a runaway and you're just staying with different people and it's, you know, maybe it's constantly, you know, every day it's a different place or mm-hmm. you, know, you stay here for a few days in there. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. So, no, I, 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 I know these terms, but a lot of them, some people are just learning about trafficking today for the first time and we're so entrenched in it. We think everyone knows and should pick up their stick and come fight well, this we're glad battle you're listening. with us. Thanks I, for tuning in. Exactly. Thanks for having us. And I, Absolutely. We kind of mentioned her earlier, but let's talk about Sherry Zucker and what she's done to Mama Zucker. Yes, I shout love out her. to Sherry. Exactly. And Brittany. Yes. So people, um, you're a 501c3. You do so much of your work to stop trafficking by getting funding from people. Tell us Absolutely. a little bit about what that funding goes to and who's on your team. Well, we're 100% volunteer at this moment we would love to be you know fully functional paid staff that would be amazing <laughs> that's amazing but um so it's myself and uh, we have three invest four investigators total uh it's myself jb rice who's my co-founder and best friend ride or die amazing human being uh and then we have stefano aguilera who's he does all of our it stuff and dark web stuff he's amazing and if anyone so ever so what is that dark web stuff so like when you can go in and find out what somebody else can't get on google yeah well i mean he he does presentations on it so if anyone's ever interested in yes. ata doing a dark web like take a, a stroll he does wow. it in such a way that's very uh safe he turns things off but okay. just to give you kind of an idea of like what it looks like because i find it fascinating but i'm not yes. computer savvy really at all you would think i am but i'm not um and then we have um i'm sorry robert sumpner's our newest pi he's amazing um amazing human being working with us on our board we have Derek Merman who's our uh, board chair uh, Crystal Cariello Jillian Platchy Pfeiffer is our treasurer um, Craig Dilley uh, I'm trying to think who else that's that's it that's that's all of us so a case oh and Andrea Kolsky Andrea Kolsky is our newest member as well on our board so you get a case it comes to you what do you how do you go about it do you reach I mean, out to law enforcement do you do it from, on your own like what 
Sometimes they're from law enforcement. Sometimes, I mean, sometimes they are from law enforcement because they just, they have so many cases. It's, it's insane. And it's, it's like, if you knew, it's, I mean, it's, my caseload looks nothing like theirs. Um, so I try to help if they call, mm-hmm. you know, they, JB has a great relationship with law enforcement. Um, so he kind of is the liaison and he, you know, they call him up all the time to, you know, help out with stuff. And he just located a, a witness this last week in San Antonio for a federal case going after a kind of a, a, a very well-known name in our community that's a well-known pimp known as the king of bassinette so we're really excited about that and um so we're doing you know really great work and when the cases come to us sometimes they come from law enforcement sometimes they come from other ngos or other activists in the community they say hey can you please have a look at this and sometimes they're tips like hey you know um we just this we got we heard about this we don't really know what to do with it like would you just look at it and so we do stuff like that too you know places uh like researching the establishments and who owns them and things like that so um so we it's kind of varies mm-hmm. um but mostly we recover missing kids awesome yeah. and so how do you can you tell us about a case that kind of sticks out in your head that you guys were able to go out and help save victims or well, break down um, trafficking rings. Sure. Uh, so um, we have a case where we have about six traffickers who are charged. Um, it actually came out of our uh, within the DA's office, the program that we have that works with analysts, partners with oh, law awesome. enforcement. And um, there was an officer out on the street who uh, he had. Um, um, stopped a young lady for um, engaging in prostitution and her phone was basically being blown up by her uh, her trafficker with messages like where are you this is daddy I, think I know who that is <laughs> it's JT. Huh? Is it JT? Uh, no. <laughs> and so uh, we have a director of trafficking intelligence at mm-hmm. the office that this officer contacted, and and he said, hey, this number was is blown up this young lady's phone, and I think it might be her trafficker. And our um, trafficking intelligence director, she's a uh, lieutenant colonel in the army she's uh, worked for uh, she's high level intelligence she knows how to research and uh, she um, she found the uh, trafficker and figured out who was communicating with our gal out there and uh, through a variety of research started connecting this trafficker to uh, two women. Other um, ads. Yep. Other ads. Other girls ended up finding about seven women, um, one of which was a juvenile, and um, and these uh, basically kind of like three brothers saying that they're brothers, but they're not really brothers, but there were guys on the street working together who also were utilizing two women as recruiters. And we, through a variety of research, you go through and you find out who's bonding out the gals, we find out um, where cell phones are, get those cell phone extractions and look at text messages and able to tie a whole web of people working together on the street to traffic juveniles and adults um, uh, to uh, charge, we charge them all with engaging in organized criminal activity. One of the phones had um, a juvenile's photos, um, nude photos on them. And our investigator, um, he's actually out of the DA's office. We partner with HPD, DPS, Precinct One. Um, who else do we uh, partner with? Um, Sheriff's Office. We all have investigators from this there. This is the task force with our, Tony Grassi. Uh, 
That's well, we have our own mini task force within uh, the DA's office, and then the big task force, which is the Human Trafficking Rescue Alliance with Tony Gracia. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so our investigator was going through cell phones, found nude images of a 15 year old runaway, and tried to find her. Can't find her, but we were able to show that um, her images were getting posted on online. And so charged the trafficker with um, trafficking, her, trafficking her to become a victim of child pornography, sexual performance, um, even though we don't even Good know job. where she is. That's we don't amazing. even, And we're prosecuting these people incredible. without the victims. Yeah. So uh, we're trying to be super forward thinking. Like, it doesn't matter uh -huh. if she can't come forward and speak for herself because she's a runaway. We're uh -huh. still going to hold these people accountable. So the, um, those cases are all still pending. Um, against these traffickers, and they're all charged with engaging in organized criminal activity, working together to traffic juveniles and adults, um, females. That it was all female victims in this situation, but it was that one phone call. That's so back to that. So the one phone call from the officer on the street who's like, "This got to be a pimp." So, sometimes that's all it takes. You that's get all that it takes. one. Just that one hit, and, mm -hmm. and as a as an investigator, oh, mm -hmm. it's just life. I'm right. like, yes, I found it. JB on a, a girl he was looking for, and then this federal case we're working on, with, uh, going after the King of Bissonnet. Mm -hmm. uh, he could not find this chick, and she's been missing. And so he, he um, goes on her her social media, and he finds a photo of the these she had these like funky you know car seat covers with butterflies on them. And he spotted that car with those butterfly seats. And it was just like, it sounds so goofy, but it's like that one thing. And on yes. yours, it was a phone number, which is much better. But but it can be an image it just, it in be social media. That right. one little hair, and it's just like, boom, it just takes I've off. even heard, like, if it's a picture of a girl and they see the carpet, and the carpet's different, and they know that that's in a certain place, or they... I mean, there's just so yeah, many have, things that you as an investigator know to look at. It's so like a TV show. For it really real. is. It's pretty cool. There's a lot of different programs that we can utilize to track different also, types of Also, there's Google data. images. Like, if anybody just wanted to know, like, on some things, you can search just free that's out there. You can take, go to Google images specifically and download the photo and drop it in and search. And you'd be very surprised on what you can find. Just a oh, wow. bunch of open source intel that you don't have to actually. I started out with Google, so I, I put my time in on how to really do some organic I research. I love that. <laughs> okay, so you bring these guys in. They're in the courtroom. What can we do as a community to encourage the judges to hold these people accountable for the behavior? We've talked about maybe getting to a place that we could watch on Zoom or we could become advocates as, as the community, but I know that so many of us with Houston 20 are looking at ways that we could, together as women at home from our computers because of COVID, can really make a difference. Can you recommend some steps for us? Sure. Um, so important to hold prosecutors, law enforcement, and judges accountable. Um, what we do at in my division, when we have trafficking cases filed, sex assaults filed, whatever we file, we then follow up in the courtroom with the judge and we ask for high bonds. We have our officers available to testify via Zoom. We have them come down to the courtroom um, to testify, be ready, you know, essentially looking at the judge like, hey, we're here mm -hmm. and we're, we're going to hold you accountable because it's so important. Bodies to, in the courtroom. Bodies in the courtroom, really. With a pulse, you can go. Listen, you can go. We can go. Yep. <clears throat> it's so important. 
It's so important to be out there and make just so make I want to make that commitment is that you can start letting us know because there's I love a group going to of her, women. I love going yes. to her proceedings. They're amazing. And I, think I love to come listen. I think it's <laughs> she's so, at one of one or two <clears throat> of my trials, so Oh, wow. I go. I, I just like to. I'm. I'm about. I'm. I'm back in school. I'm. I'm going for my law degree ultimately, uh -huh. and so I, any chance I get to come and pick her brain and listen to her, you know, statements and everything. Oh, I'm all about it. So come to trial, please. please That's come. important. I mean, you know, come for jury service. Yes. You know, listen to these cases. Please hold uh, prosecutors to their burden, mm -hmm. um, and then. Let's meet out some punishments. You know, um, people always ask me, why do you always ask for the maximum? Well, because if it was your child who was the victim, mm -hmm. you might think that's appropriate. I'm going to, you know, once we go to trial, all gloves are off and we're going to be seeking the appropriate punishment, which if we're talking about sex trafficking, it's, I'm going to be asking for the maximum. If we're talking about sexual abuse of a child. I'm going to be asking for the maximum. Listen, it's I'm just if you just take away even the emotion of the awfulness that happened, just listening to her in there, it's like Kill Bill, you know, where Uma Thurman is just... <laughs> I mean, <laughs> slice, slice. It's amazing. So you should totally go. I want people to get excited about it. I get excited about it. I'm a big fan of Jonna, and she works so hard. And when you go and you see the process of what, from start to finish, all the stuff, you know, she just told you that one about the six traffickers. There was so much that went into that. It's, you know, it was that one sliver of information that, that kind of popped it off. But that, there was a lot of work that was put into that, you know. I mean, they, they work so hard, and it and it's really easy to see from the outside looking in and kind of criticize. But until you're in the trenches, until you're really, yes. you know, if you can't Absolutely. even show up to court to, to support the victims, then if you can't even, you know what I mean? Like, if Absolutely. you can't even do that, then how are we going to complain about And tell about, about the right. team that's actually going out, because that's what fascinated me, is how many people you have to help with the different aspects. I think it's important to support our victims um, out on the scenes for for our girls and guys to know that, you know, there's help out there, that they can there's get There's people a, that care. Right, there's people that care. You can get a forensic nurse examination. You can find out, am I okay? Am I healthy? You know, there's STDs, HIV, you know, there's COVID. I mean, there's a lot of scary stuff out there. And pimps minimize. They're like, don't worry about it. You're not going to you'll be fine and I'm going to get you condoms um, so uh, and we actually have a Facebook video where the pimp is buying condoms and he's saying yeah this is my bitch um, talking about you know a beautiful young lady that's like you know 18 19 years old so um, we want the 18 19 year old to know we're out here with forensic nurses law enforcement like I told you uh, they're interested in finding that that information like hey we do care about you um, and, and we want to know why you're out here how did this happen because we want to hold those people accountable um, and then also you know forensic interviewing we're providing opportunities for adults to be able to go and tell their story we had a trafficking victim who had bite marks on her she had been beaten um, the day before and she was out being forced to prostitute and luckily great officer came across her um, during an undercover operation, got her to the hospital, got her to a forensic nurse. Um, they treated her for all her physical wounds that she actually still had, uh, a bite mark on her face, and um, uh, made sure that she had the opportunity to tell her story that in a trauma-informed, safe, comfortable environment with a forensic interviewer. So just like how we have forensic interviews for children, we now have them for adults. Uh, total care. And then, an and then advocates. It's so good. You know, then there's advocates, you know, like 
like ATA, like YMCA, like the landing, who are out there every day working with law enforcement. Real beauty, real women. Real beauty, real women um, who are out there on the scene um, with law enforcement providing services and like, hey, we can continue to care for you even after tonight, you know, because it doesn't end in that moment. You know, they have bills to pay, they might have kids to take care of, um, and they need help. You don't and, just pluck them out of that lifestyle, go, okay, right. let me help you, let me help you, and then there's like all this host of other problems. Maybe she's facing eviction, maybe she's got child custody problems, maybe she's got a pending charge, you know, who knows? There's like so much, so many variables that go into it. It's not just, you know, let me just pluck you up and, oh, you're safe, you know, no, that's not. Like, there's, it's such a process and it's a journey to restoration. It's an absolute journey to restoration. It took it's me, a lifetime. Um, I, st I still battle with my PTSD and things like that. I mean, There's I, so much trauma. All the time. Yes. And I have to just, you know, I mean, you get better at it, but it never goes away. So it really does take community and it really does take, you know, if you really want to, you know, sponsor, advocate, you know, it's a commitment. It's not something that you just go, okay, I'm going to pat you on the head. And, you know, you really have to engage and, and have, you know, get trauma-informed tra trauma -informed training, excuse me, and, you know, and, and go that route. I mean, that's... But and that's one of the pillars of Houston 20 is that we're really trying to work on that aspect. Awesome. And we, we saw that was such a need. Um, one of um, the people that are, are doing so much um, on the state level, their um, daughter was a victim, and that was something that became obvious was there was no care. There was no place to go and and even be with your child or sit with your child to overcome that. So we're trying through Hope Rising to get more beds for aftercare and through. But I, I want to give another shout out to um, the trauma nurses because I, I feel like they're uh, the forensic nurses. That's why I joined St. Luke's Friends of Nursing. They have such a great team. I think you work with them. Texas Forensic Nurse Examiners, right? Yes. They have the forensic nurses that are mobile. They work mobile within now. St. Luke's, right? They go to Amazing. all the St. Luke's clinics. They're also with other uh, clinics within Harris County and other counties, Montgomery County, Wharton County. They're expanding. And they're also uh, Texas Forensic Nurse Examiners Center for for forensic excellence, they started a, a separate program for the forensic interviewing. So they're providing the trauma-informed space for adults to come and talk about any trauma that they need to talk about, family violence, sex assault, or trafficking. So they're doing amazing work. Yeah, it's definitely, I, I think it's just not highly publicized, but it, it's definitely, things are getting, I, I feel finally kind of getting a groundswell and things are starting to take shape. I feel good about it you know, for what it is. I do too. I mean, I think we've made <clears throat> amazing strides. I've just been in this sector of trying to help for the last three years and to see the amount of movement and awareness that we've built and change that we've had That's in our awesome. community. I mean, just talking about not arresting. I mean, you know, that is not arresting. Significant, yes. Um, I mean, because all it does is further entangle her. That's my, okay, my point of view on that is it, it just further entangles her to have to deal with something else. When mm -hmm. she probably has a lot of other stuff going on, do we really need to send her to court and scare her? And it just it just further, I think it just pushes away from the legal system. So I don't agree with prosecuting on the prostitution side. Uh, you know, and 
and you know came, I, for me that I, I've sat in court with these girls mm-hmm. when I started out doing this and volunteering and I still do it to this day I get calls occasionally from you know law enforcement or whoever and they're like so you know this case is you know I, I think if you're really in it and for the right reasons you, you, and you have heart in it you'll sometimes come across cases where they just hit you you know they just get you right here in your heart mm-hmm. and you just think about that person and I have a few myself that I, I always think about I pray about that you know, I think of often you know I'll reach out to them and t- you know because it, obviously it's been years or whatever since I've um, worked with them and their stuff is all resolved and they're in a better place but you know, there's always those ones that hit close to home, but on, you know, a couple of them, I, you know, I'd get a call from law enforcement or someone, they say, can you please go sit with her in court today? Because she's got um, court, she has a setting today, so can you just go sit with her and take her, you know, whatever, just go, and, and just go sit with her and just meet her at her level and say... Where she is Like, how are you? I picked moment. one girl up from Star of Hope and took her to court and, you know you know just having like what do you need like and 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 just really meeting her on that level and not doing it you know for any other reason than just she just she's scared mm-hmm. you know and and she's in being there and being like oh i'm in trouble but then we want them to make outcries right so it's it's either the stick or the carrot and i i'm a firm believer in the carrot so you know it's just i don't and we, and we have a diversion program where uh, the gals and guys that are um, arrested or get and get charged, uh, we do offer an opportunity for them to, to get their space to talk about their sure. trauma if they want to, and we dismiss their case. Um, so we're trying to be creative in making sure people get access to services, that they're not getting convictions. I think we had like a quote, like a 95% dismissal rate of um, our sellers charged with prostitution um, that they get their cases dismissed. And then we agree to quick expungements and uh, also providing advocates. You expunge it for them? I love that. Well, we we don't object to it. Okay. And we, we connect them with the to civil that'll attorneys. Help them. Correct. Okay. But that's that, still good. That's a do very it. big part of it. Because if you have these things on your record, then you it's can't like a get a job. Letter. Right. You know, and you can't move yeah. on. So and you've just got this thing that you're ter- carrying with you forward. And it's oftentimes sends you back to the light because you don't have another choice for revenue. Yeah, I actually handled the case recently. There's a new law out about non-disclosures where um, if a person comes forward and says, I've got multiple counties where I've got convictions, I was a victim of trafficking, there is the opportunity for um, those individuals to uh, get their cases all non-disclosed, um, basically dismissed, and nobody will know that they were even there in the past. So I actually agreed to one of those with a young lady recently who had like six or seven prostitutes convictions in her past and she had a long history of sexual abuse and and family violence within her family when she was a child so um, we conducted an investigation and we agreed hey just get all these off of her record so um, so the the law is changing perceptions are changing and it's a beautiful thing But that's a process just to what you just said there what what did that take a year no it took um, I think we got that accomplished in about 60 days yeah, but I'm you know, but it's a philosophy I'm that's been seeing... around a long time. Yeah. so it it, it and took a while. And you know, it's it's our um, well working on the commitments. criminal defense side as a PI. I just see things dragged out all the time. Yes, yeah, so, at least right. in Mogo. Yep. Yeah. So I don't get me wrong. Some things do get drawn out. But, two years before but, you go to trial. It's right. Like, yeah. um, you know, l- luckily it's a 
a trial court chief contacted me and said, hey, I don't know how to handle this. And I said, no problem. I'll take care of it for you. And then uh, one of our investigators worked on it with me. And yeah, in about 60 days, we had the cases resolved. So it was pretty exciting. And I'm sure um, she feels much better now that she doesn't have those convictions on her record. So absolutely. Well, you guys are living the authentic life every day by showing up, being here, helping people get to a place of just safety in their life is absolutely the greatest gift that you can give someone health and safety um and thanks for exposing this you know thanks for having these podcasts i mean it's so important to get the word out and these aren't fun things to talk about they're not and they're heavy they're really heavy and intense but it gets us to the other side and if we want to have the best community to raise our families in that we have to take steps we have to foster behavior that is induces and incites uh nurturing and and well care for our community you know absolutely. And one of the definitions i have for authenticity it says it's when your actions and your words are congruent with your beliefs and your values it is being ourselves not an imitation of what we think we should be or what we're told to be and i don't i don't think you can just idly sit by and expect for things in the community to change i think we have to be active in doing it and I want to reach out to people to be able to come to your courtroom and I'll be finding ways to connect with people to do that. I want people to be able to support you financially. Will you tell us how we can donate to Please you? Please do. It's ATAHTX.org. Uh, you can email me, Rebecca, at ATAHTX.org. It's R-E-B-E-C-C-A. Also, if anyone would like to get their LTC or license to carry, <clears throat> we'll be hosting two fundraisers in January and the lovely... And awesome, if you've ever, never met him, you need to meet him, J.B. Rice, who's my co-founder and, and partner. Uh, he teaches. He's a, um, a licensed instructor. So he teaches CHL classes, and it's a lot of fun. And we do them um, um, at the end of the year. We do gift cards, and they're like a nice little stocking, you know, kind of edgy stocking stuffer. I love it. So, Well, mm-hmm. us being in the luxury business, I have my concealed handgun license. Very because good. it's important to just be yeah. able to protect herself and it's not something I feel super comfortable with so I need to go back and or if you just want to have a a day on the range where you learn some new things he's um, an expert in all things firearm and I really mean that like he's all things firearms so if you ever just want a day on the range if anyone would like you know to discuss that we can definitely set something up and we can have some fun good well thank you so much ladies thanks for inspiring us all to make our world a better place and for your authenticity. Yeah, same to you. Thank you so much for having us.